So joining myself and Alex today is Aya Bayat, the Director of Data Services and Deputy Chief and Analytics Officer for NHS England. I have a successful career at the NHS spans over 17 years, having started as an information analyst back in 2005. I have is passionate about using data to drive transformation and that makes a positive difference to how the NHS plans and delivers its service for its patients. One of IAB's main objectives is to provide a shared version of the truth to key decision makers that leads to better insights, better data, and better health for now and for future generations, which I'm sure we can all agree upon as a great uh, focus. IAB has also led a number of high profile programs, including the data infrastructure work that underpinned the COVID-19 vaccination program, as well as the NHS's data response to the pandemic. I have also leads the data services function for NHS England, and he is also heading up a high-profile federated data platform program, which will enable NHS organisations to bring together operational data currently stored in separate systems to support staff across the NHS access to the information they need in order to optimise care delivery for patients. So I have welcome to uh, AMX Speaker podcast, and thank you for taking the time out for your very busy day. Thank you, John, for having me. It's great to be here. And uh, on with our first and most important question I have for all our uh, guests who join Fika, uh, it's all about coffee and a cake with friends. What, what are you, a t- coffee or tea drink, and what's your favourite cake? So for me, it's always tea. Um, yeah. Not a coffee drinker, um, lots of tea. Um, and rather than a cake, it's more of a cookie. Um, yeah. <laughs> so that that's me. But when you bring the cookies, you've got to, got to share them in the office, haven't you? That's the most important thing. <laughs> well, yeah. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Thanks for sharing that. I have really, really great to have you on board. And what we try and do with Fika is we, we talk about people's career journeys and, and you know, people in, in sort of key roles such as yourself. It's really good to sort of understand your career journey today. So would you be able to sort of share with our analysts sort of your career journey, where you started and joined the NHS? And along the way, uh, what interesting things you picked up and any key insights you're able to share with our listeners because they're really keen to sort of learn leaders like yourself? Yeah, so... I think um, for me, I left university with a degree in computing and um, had ambitions to get a job and uh, start uh, somewhere somewhere else, quite frankly. It transpired that I ended up in the NHS as an assistant uh, analyst. Um, and being an assistant analyst, um, I was able to, I was able to, um, join Leicestershire Health Informatics Service. Was very fortunate to be able to join Leicestershire Health Informatics Service, um, and uh, was very fortunate that um, they allowed me to join. First of all, um, and um, apparently I was actually very close um, with somebody else on the, who was also being interviewed at the same time. So I remember, I remember my very first interview. My very first interview was it had an Excel test, and the Excel-based test was um, how to do if statements, VLOOKUPs and a pivot table. I knew nothing about these things, absolutely nothing about these things. And um, I Googled it in the interview. And um, that's, it's the real world, right? You, yeah, you look, yeah. you understand, you learn and you develop. And um, the differentiator between me and the other candidate was my pivot table had colours and conditional formatting <laughs> compared to the other person's. Um, and apparently that's the reason um i i got the job well wow. um, so so it was, i was very fortunate and i basically um looked after waiting list data and 
pretty much automating myself out of my role every time something uh, uh, something I was given um, was developed and completed. Um, so I, I did quite a long stint at Leicestershire Health Informatics, you know, uh, looked after provider analytics, community analytics, therapy analytics, uh, and data and reporting for that, um, submitted waiting list returns, so the original uh, STICE returns as they were back then um, in 05, and um, uh, progressed through the ranks there. Um, thereafter, I joined uh, the PCT, so the shared service information team was absorbed back into a shared PCT information team when community health services separated from what was the PCT organizations back then. And uh, I looked after the information and planning for Leicestershire. Um, so the main acute contract, the community contracts, um, uh, the continuing, continuing healthcare spend, did a lot of work on continuing healthcare. Um, did a lot of work on financial recovery, did a lot of work on all of those areas in, in the PCT. Um, and then when the PCTs were clustered um, and then uh, closed down as part of the Lansley reforms, I joined uh, what was then the GEM CSU uh, and joined there as uh, head of data development and integration. So I set up the, uh, the desk row in the CSU. I set up um, the commissioning BI systems for CCGs, um, a single processing, and at that time, uh, very pioneering in terms of using uh, parallel data warehouse technology, um, what known, what's now known as Synapse in Azure. Um, yeah, yeah. The original instance of that was PW on-prem, um, and used that to set up the data warehouse services uh, in the CSU. Also, uh, developed what, what was known as Jemima uh, in Arden and Gem or Gem at the time um, and I had that uh, rolled out. I then moved on to support direct commissioning BI and um, to support energy signaling more directly uh, and the delivery of direct commissioning analytics services and data services. Um, did a lot of work there, supported the sort of co-commissioning agenda between CCGs and NHS England. Uh, developed the NCDR portal, developed the TNR, the NCDR, um, uh, so National Commissioning Data Repository, uh, um, under the direction from uh, from Ming Tang, uh, who's now my boss uh, at NHS England, um, but um, was one of my customers then. Um, and then uh, I I moved to a slightly different role in the CSU, where I took over responsibility as Chief Data Officer um, uh, for all data and analytics services that the CSU provided to not just NHS England, but also to um, uh, CCGs. Uh, that put me in a good position to support in the NHS's response to the pandemic. And I was very fortunate to be involved again in some of the most interesting programmes and projects during the pandemic. Um, it was a tough time for many um, and two big parts of, well, three big parts of delivery for me are, one is um, very early on in the pandemic, <clears throat> COVID deaths were being reported through spreadsheets. And I said, that's not going to be sustainable. If we look at the numbers around the world, that's not going to be sustainable for us. Yeah. Um, so I was told on the Thursday that find us a solution, a technology-led solution. And my team developed 
a web portal on the Thursday. Um, and well, we were told on the Thursday we developed it by Monday as a sort of uh, uh, minimum viable product and rolled out to the whole of the NHS secondary care organisations by the Friday. Wow. Um, and Pretty it was closed. Up. Yeah, it absolutely was. And um, that system only closed yesterday, the 29th of June. Um, so it's been running since the start of the pandemic and it closed yesterday. It was also sort of um, commented on by the UK Statistics Authority to say uh, that, that the manner in which we developed the statistics on the back of that information was excellent. And uh, it's in a written report as well to that effect. So that's fantastic. That, that's fantastic. Um, uh, kudos for the team, really. So it's, it, 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 was a, it was an amazing endeavour by so many people in the team. Um, the second one was uh, setting up the COVID-19 data repository. And so it was a COVID-19 data store um, and uh, put that in place um, and made sure that we started to have the reporting and the data that's required across the NHS um, in, in, in the way that it was needed to make all the big decisions, specifically in terms of ventilator allocation, specifically in terms of uh, PPE, specifically in terms of um, uh, oxygen services, you know, all of those different areas, how we were making those decisions, how we were driving those decisions came from data that was amalgamated in the COVID-19 data store. Um, and then reporting on the back of all of those as well. So the uh, what's known as the SDMD, Strategic Decision Makers Dashboard, and how we put that in place and gave access to not just the NHS, but all across government um, was fantastic. And then the final thing in the pandemic that I'm really proud of um, was um, being asked to set up a flu vaccination system. So this was NIVS, the National Immunization Vaccination System. Um, and I was asked that, um, can we use it for hospital hubs? Um, and this was my first discussion on this was with Leaf Mobs, um, who is now the Director of Performance and Improvement in the Northeastern Yorkshire region. Um, but Leaf and I were talking about this and we set it up and we used it to understand how many staff were being vaccinated for flu. Um, and then I said, um, we could also adapt this to use for COVID. And originally, it was just going to be for staff for COVID, um, but then we then we used it for um, patients as well. And the very first vaccination that was given um, was on the NIF system to Margaret Keenan um, wow. in the hospital hub. So I'm I'm really proud of that. We put it in. You know, we 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 back ended it with a very modern data architecture, um, and data was being reported pretty much instantaneously. So we were, we were having near near live data coming out of the system. And I remember uh, talking to Emily Lawson um, about it and saying, um, I've got this info. Well, she said, she said to me, I, I hear you've got information on a more regular basis than I get on a daily. Because I was also responsible for making sure that the data came across to NHS England for reporting to understand what's happening with vaccine uptake. I said, yes, we do. And we then put it in place with all the other system suppliers who were providing um, uh, vaccination systems at NHS, um, like Pinnacle, uh, System C GraphNet, um, and we took hourly feeds from these systems. By taking hourly feeds from these systems, 
we, were ha we had an hourly position on how vaccine uptake was throughout the day, where the pressures were, where the stock was for vaccine. How did you? Uh, how do we make sure that the right stock is in the right place for the right people? Um, so we did a lot of work in that area, and that allowed for decisions to be made today that impacted tomorrow, rather than decisions that were made tomorrow for the following day. Um, and I'd, you know, the the thing I like to think about is that's mine and my team's little contribution to saving lives, um, because we we brought forward decisions that allow or allowed decisions to be brought forward um, that supported vaccine uptake, um, and and you know Emily had a fantastic saying: "Jabs in arms, not in fridges." Um, and we helped that agenda massively through the reporting that we undertook and through the data that we captured through the vaccine systems. Um, and then luckily, uh, or currently, um, uh, as you said, I'm the Director of Data Services and Deputy uh, Chief Data and Analytics Officer at NHS England. Um, I've been leading in NHS England what was the DMIS team, the Data Management Integration Services team, um, but currently I'm also looking after all of data services in NHS England, um, which includes um, the Federated Data Platform. Um, uh, fantastic agenda. It's, you know, we've done, some, we've done some amazing things and we're learning, we've learned so much in the pandemic and how do we make sure that we build upon that is going to be crucial. Um, so, you know, we've done some elective recovery work on pilots in terms of how you increase data digitization, how you make sure the right patients are on the waiting list, how you support clinicians to make sure the, patient, the right patients are being scheduled, how you how we use machine learning and algorithms to really look at capacity and demand and better use capacity. Um, so those are the things that we're currently working on, which I hope the FTP would help scale to right across the NHS in, in due course. Yeah, support wins precious. No, I thank you for sharing that amazing sort of career journey. It's fascinating, and the work in the pandemic with the team is, is absolutely amazing. I, I, I was just thinking back through all of those journeys. You had many, many customers and stakeholders. You had to sort of appease. Uh, any advice? You know how you how you sort of aligned with their needs. I mean, that's an important thing. There's a challenge that you may have something in your head, but different than what they want. Yeah. So, I've I've always been of the approach that actually what we do in data and analytics has to be supporting the business, the business being policy, strategy, delivery of the core agenda of the NHS. Um, so I've been a massive advocate to being part of the overall problem that you can provide the solution within it. Um, so you've got to be, you've got to immerse yourself and you're, you've got to ensure that your team immerses themselves into the business. Um, so you're part of the decision making and you're part of the solutions that are required because we can bring different experiences. Um, so I'm really big on that, um, you know, and even when I was in the commission support unit, I made sure even in programs like direct commissioning BI, I participated in regional SMTs, you know, um, in specifically in the south region and the southeast regions after it demerged. Um, I participated quite a lot and quite heavily in all of the SMT meetings, a lot of commitment. And I traveled up and down the country to be in other SMTs as well, because if you if you understand the, the total problem, you can provide different types of solutions. Um, and 
data analytics is a is a supporting function. It's an enabling function, yeah. um, and we can provide solutions that others won't ordinarily see. Yeah. But to do that, you've got to be in the room, and 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 you know be part of the overall. Fantastic, Ayub, and, and fan, um, congratulations on the on the achievement you have made and that career journey that you shared with our listener is very very inspiring indeed. As you can imagine, um, most of the people or in 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 many people go many conversations going on in the NHS outside the NHS is about the, the federated data platform. Would you be able to share to with our listener the ambition of FDP and what you see as a key benefit for NHS organization and more importantly for our analytical community, including strategic partners, and then what, what it means to the analyst in their day-to-day work? Yeah, happy to do that, Alex. Um and and the ambitions are so many, right? Um, but our our first and most important ambition in this. Yeah is to enable patient care um, to be faster, to make sure that the patients uh, get the treatments that they need, right? The secondary benefits of FDP are, how do we reduce burden on providers? How do we you know, increase the cadence of delivery of data, uh, reduce the number of batch flows that we need to handle? How do we make sure that the right tools and capabilities are available to our analysts? You know, how do we make sure that um, we're transparent in how we use data? Um, how do we enable uh, strategic and operational decisions to be made? How do we make sure that research is supported? You know, all of these are key ambitions for us. Um, uh, but I don't want data to be a separate thing or analytics to be a separate thing from decision, operational decision making. So how do you integrate um, data and analytics in a way that as an end user, it's part of what they do rather than something else that they have to consume. And that's what we've been thinking on in the elective recovery use cases, for example, where the elective recovery use case that we're currently running, which is known as IECCP or the care coordination solution, which we've developed uh, um, mm-hmm. and it's currently running in nearly 30 hospitals that we want to you know, scale out further. Um, our main ambition on this is how do you create the workflow to go with the data and analytics that allows the decisions to be made using the data that you're visualizing at that point? So, for example, you know, EPRs are great. They are absolutely crucial for the NHS, but EPR is one element of a data point, right? It's probably the biggest element, quite frankly, mm-hmm. but there are other ele- uh, other things that you need to consider. For example, rostering systems, for example, data management systems, for example, annual leave systems, for example, preoperative systems, right? All of these are separate data points outside of the EPR uh, in most of the cases, not all, not all the time, but in most cases. But where you can integrate that data and provide a single user interface that's using that data to enable the workflow that makes the decision is going to be crucial. Now, the FDP is there for that reason. You know, we've seen benefits already starting to be delivered in so many hospitals across the country where we've improved theater utilization times, where we've improved um, uh, waiting list clearance times, where we've improved um, discharge activity mm-hmm. um, and, and, and enable the sharing of information on, on a much more real time basis. Um, mm-hmm. Those are, those are going to be crucial 
from an analytics perspective, from an, an uh, analyst perspective, we want to be able to work on the latest data at all times. You know, we've got used to in the NHS for many, many years now. Um, and I remember, and I didn't mention earlier in my in my monologue about uh, my history, um, was I was responsible for the SUS submissions in Leicestershire. Yeah. Um, and we we did a fantastic job doing those submissions and, and, and making that happen. But that system is still pretty much the same, you know, from 05 till now. That's 18 years. Mm -hmm. Right. Wow. You know, I joined the NHS on July 15, 2005. Uh, it's my 18-year anniversary on July the 15th of uh, uh, this year. And um, it's it's been a massive journey, right? Yeah. But the data system in terms of how we submit data hasn't changed. No. So we've got to be thinking about it slightly differently for the future. How can we think about um, not having to move data all the time? How do we think about access to data rather than sharing of data? How do we give data, make data availability much more faster? And some of the other programs that I've been recently responsible for. So during the pandemic, um, Faster SAS, which um, I don't know why everything's called Faster, but Faster SAS is the name that we gave it um, to Rob Stones and I um, developed a lot of that work um, where we put in place weekly submissions of SAS data. And that was unheard of at that time because mm. we were so used to working with weekly, so for, uh, uh, monthly data. Um, we've taken that further. And now we've got faster data flows, which is daily data. And this is granular patient level data that we are now acquiring that we need to make available to the whole of the NHS to support agendas like system control center, to support agendas, agendas like how flow management. Yep. Right. And this is what the analysts in ICBs and ICSs and trusts want to work with and have to work with. In trust, they probably got that picture for their own trust but they can't see all the pressures in the surrounding areas. So how do you make that available in a way that allows them to uh, support their organization, support the NHS and the local systems in delivering better care and making sure flow is working? Um, right. So that those, are, those are my sort of ambitions, if you like, for what we can do with the FDB. Yeah, I think I think the um, COVID is clearly or certainly a catalyst of, you know, a lot of changes, a lot of innovation and a lot of, you know, like changing of ways of us working. So it just, you know, like makes sense for us to actually go with, you know, like or, or, or use what we have learned through COVID and, you know, like to put into a practice of moving things forward and bringing new ideas into the, you know, like what we are currently practicing to improve patients' health and care. Yeah, no, definitely. COVID was an absolute catalyst for this. Um, and um, from a data analytics perspective, I think people have started to value um, the power of data analytics. You, know, I think maybe it was nearly a year ago now when Amanda Pritchard said um, yeah. an analyst in isolation or in, in a room can have a bigger impact than probably about 50 or 100 doctors could because of the data and analytics that uh, data and, uh, um, analysis that they can provide, sure. which could support decisions and really change um, uh, uh, approaches. Um, and that's not verbatim. I'm not quoting her correctly there, but it's it's recognised. You know what contribution data and uh, analytics has made to the NHS's response to the pandemic, response to the pandemic, but 
also um, uh, the contribution it's got to make going forward, you know, in the recovery of the NHS, in the delivery of normal NHS services. And I think people respect the work that data professionals and analytics professionals do massively more today than they probably did five years ago. Just think about that sort of professionalisation linking into that and, and the sort of investment that's been, been made with the Federated Data Platform, such a new area and technology. And think about the important role that the analysts, as you mentioned, play and the impact they can have. I expect we probably have a skills gap um, with, with the Federated Data Platform coming on. What, what do you think are the new sort of skills that are needed and how is the NHS helping sort of to develop these? Are there any sort of new initiatives that our listeners, the analysts, can get involved with and the analytical community to sort of make a success this? Any thoughts on that? So I think if you if you look at um NHS jobs, the number of roles that are available in this in this arena are are significant still. We still have a big gap in terms of personnel. We um need to make sure that the profession remains attractive and it is a profession. It's you know, my boss Ming Tang is very, very clear. Um and we're very fortunate to have a head of profession in the NHS. Um, uh, such as you know, with with someone like Ming um, leading that, I think you know, Ming is fantastic, um, and she she really champions the cause um, for data and analytics. And I think there is a fantastic opportunity on the back of what we're doing now, and again, the back of all of the kudos that data and analytics professional have received, um, that we major on you know the good work that's being led by people like Sarah Culkin. Um, uh, on the national competency framework and 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 how we start to use that and how we really start to champion that. Um, the work that Ed Kendall is is also pushing on in terms of how we professionalize the whole service is is going to be crucial. Um, I think you know we we will continue to have uh, a deficit in terms of capacity. Um, but the capability that we have within the people that we have, we have to continue to invest in. Um, and the one message I could share with um, chief analysts or uh, chief data officers in local organizations or even in some organizations where CIOs are, are running these services is continue to invest in your people. Um, nationally, we've also got to make sure that we are supporting that investment at a local level. Um, and we're starting to professional, you know, really bang the drum on the professionalization agenda, um, because this is a big profession. You know, um, if I if I look at Analyst X and and the number of members that Analyst X has, you know, we're we're, we're in we're above nearly fifteen thousand now. I think um, Alex will correct me if I'm wrong, um, but there there is there is a big amount of people um, who are working on this agenda, and we've got to make sure that we support them, um, that we start to operate as a total profession, that we start to listen to these individuals who have so much knowledge and experience um, and, and some of the key skills that we've got to develop within our own data and analytics workforces, from my perspective is, how do we make sure that we can do some of the work that consultancies come and do for us? Um, and I've referred to this previously as core consulting skills. Um, yeah. how do you how do we start to ask the questions that we understand the business problems that we can provide the right solutions? Um, you know, and 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 traditionally, they, you know, oh, your data people, your 
you, you sit in a corner. No, we don't. We don't. We get out there. We absolutely have to get out there. And we have to have that conversation. We have to be part of the business conversations. We've got to be part of uh, the solution. Um, so these are normal skills. You know, I'm not going to say, yeah, let's go learn Python, let's go learn R, PySpark, et cetera. They are all absolutely important finalists as well. I'm not saying they're not important, um, but they're going to be crucial in terms of how you modernize the way you do analytics, how we move away from Excel to do a lot of our publication, our reporting, um, how we create self-service. You know, large language models are going to change the way we approach analytics as well. Um, you know, we want to be able for a, 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 an end user to be able to ask a question of your ontology and the ontology itself produces a, a response back that can be visualized um, yeah. in the way that, that, that the end user would like it. So there's so many different opportunities in this. Um, and I think that's what we need to push towards. Brilliant advice. No, thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Um, yeah, are you 19,000? Um, we are above 19,000 now. So we wow. have we have moved on from a little bit more than 15,000 uh, 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 last year, probably. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, I, you, you have a key point there. Data literacy is, I mean, I, or particularly for data, it's not just for, you know, like technical analyst or data profession, but also for senior leader, decision maker, you know, like this is going to be some things that we wanted to focus on, we want to look at, and then also how people change or foster the data-driven culture into the NHS and then across the health and care sector as well. This is quite important for us and it is going to be a big journey or a journey that we need to go on. No, I, I completely agree. It's, an, it's a huge journey for us to go on, right? And there's a lot of work to do. Um, but I'm excited to be on that journey with everybody. Great, fantastic. So, so now, um, looking into the future um, vision of the FTP, just going back to it, um, how do you see FTP supporting the overall transformation journey um, um, for the NHS? Not just data, but digital transformation as well. Can you give us your thoughts on that? Yeah, so these are emerging thoughts, right? So, you know, FTP is still um, uh, emerging <laughs> itself. Um, so, um, I've taken with a pinch of salt at this stage um, because things will change and and I don't want to say anything that commits uh, something that that, we, that that may not be correct in two years time. Um, but one of the things that we need to be able to enable um, using the FTP is the digital front door. Um, how do we use the FTP and the data that the FTP would harness um, to support patients make the right decisions? How do we support them to choose better? How do we support integration into things like the NHS app? How do we make sure that we um, don't forget the things that we've achieved during the pandemic that really enabled the use of data to support digital transformation of the NHS? Um, you know, data underpins all of this area. So that's going to be uh, crucial. And, uh, we, we need to make sure that um, we change the way, and I said this earlier, change the way that we collect data. You know, how do you curate more data and collect the activity information, but augment it with reference data, with master data? You know, how do we really change those, change that agenda? So for us, data needs to underpin the digital transformation of the NHS, right? To link into NHS app, linking into other services, local services, how do we make sure that um, by default are API driven that are that that make it accessible um, 
for different purposes uh, to support direct care, to support uh, analytics, to support reporting, to support um, uh, transformation journeys, to support patients ultimately choose better. Um, so those are some of the areas that I think um, uh, the FDP will help solve in the future. Uh, that's fantastic. No, and thank you for sharing your, your your sort of insights as well. And just a bit of a recap. I think what, what was really impressed in some of the points I was picked up three areas was that what I really like is the the, the important message you mentioned about you know the ability to pivot and be agile. You know, look at systems you've already got, which you use the flu, which is fantastic. Having a system that's already there and pivoting. So I think that's something we can we can definitely take forward that ability to explore and exploit what you already have. Uh, the second piece I like, which is really important, that message back to our analysts, their community about, you know, immerse yourself in the business, get involved. You know, data, as you mentioned, is a key fundamental foundation, but I really like that term you mentioned, be in the room with a customer. Really, really powerful there. And the third thing you mentioned about on the professionalization piece, you know, I think the message to, you know, CIOs and CDAOs, uh, you know, invest in your people, get them involved and, and develop those core consultant skills, you know, about asking the right questions, you know, rather than look at the data, what's the challenge that the community, the locality, the trust has on what's the day-to-day need. So really, really uh, sage advice. And, you know, I like the piece about, you know, the, the final piece you mentioned about data and transformation, that data underpins everything that we're doing. So really exciting area to be in. But, yeah, just wanted to thank you very much for joining myself and Alex today on, on FICA. And just finally, just 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 on that, what do you do outside of uh, your, your busy day job? Is there anything you're able to share with us? What do you, how do you relax? How do I relax? Oh, yeah. God. Um, I think my family will tell you a different thing to my colleagues will tell you a different thing probably as well. They'll tell you the same thing really is um, uh, I struggle to relax, truth be told. Um, um, I'm I'm very much on the go. Um, I like to walk. Um, I like to go for long walks. Uh, Long walks are good. Um, And um, I like to spend time with my children. Um, That's quite important part of my life. and uh, rightly so. Um, but yeah, so so to, to uh, listen to music um, and have have long walks, long drives. My daughter, me and my daughter love long drives. Um, so um, hopefully it's more economical than petrol. I've got electric car, so but hopefully it's a bit more, bit more friendly to the environment. Um, um, but yeah, we like long drives and uh, we sing along in the car. So we do carpool karaoke. Um, <laughs> um, me and my daughter, so it's quite it's quite, it's quite good fun. Um, and then I like to watch footy. So I'm a, I'm a football fan. Um, and uh, and then and then ultimately once or twice a year go on a break and travel. So, um, but and my last sort of uh, guilty pleasure, I'd say, is probably death scrolling on TikTok. Um, <laughs> Uh, and I and I can spend hours on that, uh, and generally that's the end of my day, and that's how I relax. Which is off, yeah, really. Though, thanks for sharing that with us. And how can people find you? Uh, I have on. Are you on Twitter and, and LinkedIn? Yeah, I'm on. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, mm. I, I'm, I probably post more things on LinkedIn than any other platform, even though I, I don't post very often. But yeah. I am on LinkedIn, um, so you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, but I am also on Twitter. Um, and I've got um, uh, my uh, my name on Twitter is uh, at buzzbee underscore b. So at okay. buzb underscore b. Um, I'm not massively active on Twitter. Yeah. Um, I don't really use it day in day out for anything. Uh, but it's there. 
um and uh at busby b he's got a story behind it as well at some point and maybe next time i come along i'll tell you the story of uh why at busby b we look forward to hearing that and then thank you very very much again for, for sharing your insights. Thank, you. thank you you're very welcome you. it's great to be here with you guys and thank you for having me so i'd like to thank our speaker for joining us today and for everybody else tuning in to this podcast uh, look forward to seeing you in the future